don't know about you, but the sun definitely makes me feel different. Uh, does the sun make any of you feel different? Absolutely. Gee, I must say this year I was, I was struggling at the end of uh, March, and I think my wife and children were completely fed up with me because I was uh, so grumpy. But um, the sun is now shining, so this is a wonderful thing. But I want to speak to you this morning about living in the power of the resurrection, and I trust you're going to be encouraged. Um, and I really hope that over this Easter season you have been encouraged. We've, we've taken about six weeks just to think a little bit about uh, the cross, about the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means. And so I really trust that if you've had a break, a physical holiday, that you're feeling uh, refreshed and strengthened. But more than that, I really trust that over this Easter season, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you through His Word, through ministry, through prayer, and that you are feeling deeply encouraged in terms of what the resurrection of Jesus actually means. And as a preaching team, uh, we've tried to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus from a number of different um, angles. And I just want to refresh your memory because uh, we started six weeks ago. And I, I started with a brief uh, investigation of what the Old and New Testament uh, have to say about resurrection in general. Uh, we looked at Ezekiel, we looked at Isaiah, different passages that speak of the resurrection that is still to come. And then we had a look in the New Te Testament also at some stories of Jesus, uh, and out of the miracles that He did, uh, spoke of the resurrection that was going to be true for His life, and also for the resurrection that still is to come on that final day. Um, and uh, secondly, I uh, looked at how we can build our lives on the, the, res, the rock of the resurrection, and we had a look at historical evidence for the resurrection, and in particular, uh, Joseph of, of, of Arimathea, who um, offered the tomb for Jesus to be buried, in, uh, and we had a look at those things. And I would encourage you if, you, if you'd like to reflect a little bit more on it, go and listen to the podcast and um, refresh yourself in these things. I also preached a message on called, Why Did Jesus Live? We, we're looking about the resurrection and his death and resurrection, but what was the meaning of his life? And I said, in, in terms of everything that we hold true about the resurrection, let's not lose sight about the simple fact that God, God used this also to inaugurate his kingdom on earth. And that's what the death and resurrection of Jesus also does. And we pray that all the time, don't we? Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus came to inaugurate something of that kingdom here on earth. And the fullness of that kingdom is still to come, but we can live in the power of the kingdom right now by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So we looked at that as well. And fourth, uh, Clive reminded us wonderfully of the many uh, witnesses that there were, people that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and what that can do to encourage us as well. And then as Tim mentioned Two weeks ago, uh, Ed led us wonderfully in some reflections around the cross, what that means, the divine exchange, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and what we exchanged with Him, and what He exchanged with us, and all of the promises that we have in Christ that are true for us because of Jesus. And I don't know if you remember, but I found it very powerful and ministered to me when we just read all those promises. Do you remember doing that? We read all those promises, and there are so many of who we are in Christ and what He has done for us and all that is possible because of His death and resurrection. And then lastly, uh, I don't know if you enjoyed it as much as I did, but Michael was just wonderful and again reminded us of uh, the truth in the historical account, why we can trust the historical account of Jesus, but also 
he reminded us of the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and uh, the witness of the resurrection in our own lives. And so that's what we did. And I'm going to close off this little series this morning by looking at how we can live in the power of the resurrection. And so I want to point you to a story in John chapter 20. And if you can put it up for us, Nick, that would be great. This is one of the accounts that we have of the first thing that happened after Jesus was, uh, can you read that? Yep, where Jesus was uh, resurrected from the dead. And this is what it says in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Can you all say, Peace be with you? Do you want to repeat it with me? Peace be with you. And there's reason for this. In the Old Testament, you know, they did, in, in Jesus' time, they didn't have Bibles. So what did they do? They learned the Scripture by heart, and they repeated it. The rabbi would, the teacher, would help them to repeat the Scripture. And what happens when you repeat something is you remember it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to repeat a couple of things. I'm not trying to uh, treat anyone like children. It's just so that we can think about it, we can uh, meditate on it, and it can drop from our heads into our hearts. So I'm going to say, peace be with you, right? That's what Jesus, the first thing he said. And then verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, and we're all going to say it together, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, can you say with me please? Unless I see his hands, the mark of his nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, it's the second time we noticed the doors were locked, Jesus appears again and says, he comes and stands among them and he says, we're going to say it again, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, and my God. And Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Let's say it together. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And let's say this all together. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. Jesus, I pray that you'd help me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help me. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you want to encourage and refresh every single person here this morning. And I pray, Lord, 
that as I simply preach your word, your word will bring liberty, your word will be, bring freedom. And Holy Spirit, we know that your power is here. And we look to both those things, your word and your spirit, to come and encourage us, refresh us, build us up, that we might live and have life in your name. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Four very simple things I'd like us to think about and to remember out of this message this morning. And the first is this. Simply, because of the resurrection of Jesus, God's people may have peace. I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me. Because um, in our world, there's so, such a lack of peace. And there's such a... Uh, people's, people's sense of peace goes up and down. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I sometimes feel anxious when there's another terrorist attack. Do you ever feel anxious when you, you think about these things? I mean, I've walked across the bridge in Westminster many, many times where that maniac drove into all those people. And something can begin to grip our hearts when we are confronted with circumstances that we have no control over that radically transform our lives. And uh, our sense of peace can be whittled away. But what does Jesus promise every single one of us that believes that he's the Christ? He says, peace be with you. And this is the great joy that we have as Christians that we can know. We can have this extraordinary peace of God on a daily basis. Now, why I think it's extraordinary that he said that's the first thing that Jesus says to, to, to them is think about it. All of his disciples had uh, deserted him. They had betrayed him. In fact, if you read the gospel accounts, when he prophesied about what was going to happen to him, that he was going to die and be resurrected from the dead, none of them believed what he was saying. And yet the first thing he says to these men and women, there probably were some women there, that uh, denied him, deserted him, didn't believe him, the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. Don't you think that's incredible? That the, out of this, his heart flows absolute acceptance and forgiveness and love, and all he wishes for them that have betrayed him and deserted him is peace. I find that incredibly challenging. Why do I say that? Because when I look at my own life, I have to be honest with you and say, when there have been those in my, in my life that have betrayed me or deserted me or spoke unkindly to me or wished me harm, I have to confess that sometimes the first thing out of my mouth has not been, peace be with you. Anyone identify with that? Sometimes I'm more like Paul. God, deal with them. Fire from heaven. Please, come, bring it now. I want to be vindicated. I want to be proved right. And just so opposite here from the way Jesus is. Those that most hurt him, those that deserted him, he simply says, my friends, peace on your life. That brings courage to me. Why? Because the scripture says we were the ones that nailed the, nailed the nails into his hands, into his feet. It was us. And many wonderful hymns of the past have spoken about that. I was the one that nailed him to the tree. When you realize your sin, it is true. We were there and nailed the, the nails into his hands and his feet. And yet upon your life, upon my life, he says, peace be with you. Do you notice? 
the basis of peace in people's lives for Christians is, is the hands and, and the nails, that, the scars of Jesus' hands and feet. That's the only basis you and I can have peace with God. It's literally because we believe in a physical event that happened, that Jesus literally was crucified in a cross in his body, and his body literally was raised from the dead. And that's the only reason that you and I can have peace. And do you notice in verse 20, when the disciples realize that, what does it say? It says they are filled with great joy. It's a wonderful thing. They are filled with great joy when they have this revelation of exactly what Jesus has done, that he's not dead, he's alive, and because of that, they can enjoy this peace with God. Do you notice he encourages them a second time? In verse 21, he says again, peace be with you. He affirms it. He encourages them in it. He says it more than once because he thinks, well, perhaps they're not going to get it. I need to say it again. He says it again, peace be with you. And it's only when they've been encouraged in that, it's only when they've been rooted in that, when he's absolutely sure that they know he wants uh, them to understand the, that peace is with them, that he asks them to do anything. Do you notice that? He doesn't ask them to do anything until they've been rooted and encouraged in the simple truth that God's peace is with them. Then he says, my mission on this, on this earth is over, and just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I want to encourage you for your life that you get those things in the right order. Before God calls you to do anything, He wants you to know His peace. He wants you to know His grace. He wants to know that he is, you to know that He is with you every moment of every day. And out of that place, you can begin to minister effectively into other people's lives. Because you know the peace of God is true for you. And it's real for you. And when it's real and true for you, you start to give it away and minister to other people. And so, for our mission to the world with our friends, our families, our workplace colleagues, even our enemies, is based on the fact that we have a sure and certain reconciliation with God our Father. We have peace with God, Romans says, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that basis, we can do all things as God calls us to do. So, because of the resurrection of Jesus, God's people can live in power of God's peace. Can you notice, uh, please notice the second thing. Uh, there's four simple things this morning. The second thing, because of the resurrection, we can, as God's people, Jesus' people, we can know the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit. I think it would be good just to take a moment to reflect on exactly what is happening here. Uh, when Jesus breathes on them and says, receive my Holy Spirit. The first, thing, the first thing I want to say we can be absolutely sure of is that Jesus is not performing uh, like a symbolic or prophetic act predicting what was to come on the day of Pentecost. He's not doing that. Why can I say that confidently? Well, simply because the Greek there, the word receive, it's a fancy word, aorist imperative. What it means, it, it's speaking about something that is happening in the moment. It is not talking about a future event. We know that from the, 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 the grammar, the Greek grammar. So when Jesus says, receive my Holy Spirit, he's not speaking forwards into the future. He's speaking about what is happening right at that moment. And he's saying, as I breathe on you, you receive my Holy Spirit. So we know that's the first thing we can be sure of. 
And the second thing we can be sure of, and I, I feel like I need to say this just because we come from different um, backgrounds, many of us in different traditions. He's not talking about priests forgiving sins. Okay? Why do I say that? Because in the Roman Catholic tradition, they connect verse 22 with verse 23. And they say it's proof, this scripture proves that priests can forgive sins. They have the power to forgive sins. But if we look quite simply in the context of the whole portion, it simply says there were disciples together, men and women. There's no reference to priests at all. And uh, in fact, the New Testament calls all of us a kingdom of priests. Yeah, all of us are priests, and we all minister as priests before God. And in fact, I've looked quite uh, closely at the New Testament, and there's not one place in the New Testament that I can find that calls a Christian preacher a priest. Never in the New Testament. All the New Testament does calls those that serve God, calls them elders, bishops, biscopos, shepherds. It doesn't call New Testament people priests in the Old Testament sense of what a priest did. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it's not saying that either. So what is happening here? And the first thing I want to say is, it simply is, when Jesus breathes His Holy Spirit on them, the church is born. This is the moment that the church is born. And so it's a, it is incorrect to say that the church was born on the day of Pentecost. No, that was, the church wasn't born. If you read Acts chapter 1, the church was already functioning. The church was already in place. It was already gathering together. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, is, a, is, a, is a promise of power that is going to come upon the, uh, the disciples. Power by the Spirit that they might be witnesses for Him. But already here where Jesus breathes on them, they receive His Holy Spirit and the church is born in this moment. This is where we know. John 20 is where the church is born. And so I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus this morning, if you, have, if you have made a commitment to follow Christ, you are automatically part of the church of God in the whole of the world, and He has breathed on you, and you have the fullness of His Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what happens. It's not the same as Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is a promise of power. So all of us receive the Holy Spirit when we are born again. Do you notice, secondly, it also says that uh, it also speaks of this resurrection power being given to the disciples. I loved what, um, what Michael spoke about, us being fused. Didn't you love that illustration? Us being fused into Christ. We are in Him. He is in us. Like our fingers are part of our bodies. The same nerves flow from the head into our fingers. It's not like, uh, remember you used the illustration, it's like, like, not, not like changing a wheel when your car has a puncture. It's not that kind of being in Christ in the same way. It's like we are fused into Him. We are one in Him. That's what Romans uh, one, uh, 6 verse 1 says, that we are in Christ. We are raised with Him. If we are in Him, we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And when I think about this portion, it kind of feels a bit, it reminds me of Genesis where it says that God breathed His Holy Spirit into humanity. And um, the life of the Spirit came into humans. And in the same way here, as, as Jesus breathes on these disciples, that resurrection power begins to flow in their lives. And they begin to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so it's the same for us. As we receive Jesus, we receive this resurrection power. Third thing that I'd like you to see is simply because um, of the resurrection, we as God's church have the authority to know what the gospel is. I say that because of verse 23. Uh, Jesus says the strange thing. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Uh, and I find that um, we need to think about a little what is Jesus saying there. Strictly speaking, if you remember Mark chapter 2 where um, uh, the, the Pharisees are getting really upset with Jesus because he's talking about forgiving sins, uh, they, the scribes say of Jesus, what are you speaking about? You are blaspheming. Only God can truly forgive sins. No one else can forgive sins. And that's true. In of ourselves, we cannot t wash away anybody's sin from their lives. What you and I are called to do, living as Christians, is to forgive those that have wronged us. That's a different thing from saying, I can wash away your sin completely. Only God can wash away sin completely. But we can live in forgiveness. We can extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us and live free so that thing doesn't hold us back anymore. So it's not quite the same thing. And so what I think Jesus is saying here, if you forgive the sins of any, they are with, uh, forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. I think what Jesus is trying to say is that uh, as a Christian, you can know the gospel and you can know who's been transformed by the gospel and who's not transformed by the gospel. I can put it this way. If someone comes to me and say, says, Ant, I've, I've got saved. I've found Christ. He's found me. I've, I've, I've experiencing this whole new life in, in, my, in my life, and I know that is true, I could say to them, well then, it's obvious that your sins are forgiven. You are living in the reality of your sins being forgiven. I, I don't personally have any power to forgive their sins, to wash away their sins, but because they are in Christ, their sins are washed away, and they are forgiven. Are you with me? And in the same way, um, if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if you're not... Um, walking in fellowship with him, in the, in the same way I could say, well, then your sins are not yet forgiven and you haven't yet experienced the forgiveness of, forgiveness of Christ. So we can know the power of the gospel. We can know who is saved and who is not saved. And I don't say that in a way to condemn anyone. I'm saying that that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's obvious. Those who are in Christ know the expense of his forgiveness. Those who are not do not know. And as I looked a bit at this, this is how the guys preached in the New Testament. If you go and read any of the stories in Acts, Acts 2.38, Acts 13.26, or Acts 3.9, Peter, when he gets up to preach, he says this, But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that Christ would suffer, is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn, that your sins would be blotted out, that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord, and that he might send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Paul's, uh, Peter's saying exactly the same thing. You, you, your, your sins are not yet forgiven, but in Christ your sins can be forgiven. So turn, repent, come to him, and he will wash away your sin. There's a wonderful promise in that. And so we can have this wonderful understanding of the gospel and how we can apply it to our own lives and also to the lives of others. And then lastly, do you notice that because of the resurrection of Jesus, God's people are asked to exercise faith in an extraordinary way, in the resurrection of Jesus in a way that they haven't done before. Do you notice that? 
these verses are inviting you and I, inviting every one of us to believe something that we have not seen for ourselves. There were only 12 or however many uh, witnesses in the upper room, uh, many more, but they, were the, they witnessed it at first hand. You and I are asked to believe something that we have not seen for ourselves. And there's this wonderful picture in the story of Thomas that is, illustrates exactly the challenge that you and I have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And we see in verse 24, Thomas says, No, I'm not going to believe unless I know proof, unless I can touch and see and feel for myself. I will not believe that this man has been resurrected from the dead. He wants proof. Eight days later, a week later in verse 26, he gets the proof that he wants when Jesus appears. And the first person that Jesus turns to is Thomas, and he says, Okay, Thomas, here, touch, see, feel. Put your hands here, put your hands here. Put your hands in the marks. You wanted to see, now you're seeing. But what is Jesus really saying to Thomas? He's, he's really saying to Thomas, you know, Thomas, your faith, when you want to see like that, that's really weak faith. In fact, it's not really faith at all. I find that incredibly challenging. Because in my life, often, when I'm really struggling, I will say things like, God, just give me a sign. Just give me one little thing that I can know is from you, and then I will trust you with all of my heart. How many of you have done that? All of us have done that. Jesus says to Thomas, that kind of faith that wants to see, that wants to touch, is not really the kind of faith that I'm after. That's weak faith. What I'm after is those that will believe without seeing. That's true faith. And remember our talk about Abraham. He was the father of our faith. Why? Because he believed without seeing. He believed the promise of God about his, his wife who was childless. Before he saw anything, he believed the promise of God. And the Scripture says that was credited to him as righteousness. And Jesus, God says to him, because of that, I will call you my friend because I know that you trust me even when you haven't seen You've trusted me with all your heart. I want to encourage you, my friends, that we become strong in faith. And strong in faith means that we unwaveringly believe God even when we do not even see one iota of the promise yet. We trust Him because we know He who has promised is faithful and He will come through. And whether you trust in God for a job, whether you're trusting God for healing, whether you're trusting God for a relationship that is broken, whatever you are trusting God for, I want to encourage you with all of my heart that you would continue to trust God in that place of faith, even when you don't see, even when you have not yet seen the answer, that you will see the answer because He has promised is faithful. And so, we know from this story and the other stories in the gospel that faith really is based on testimony. And here we are told this salvation story in God's Word. And uh, we believe what He said to us without really seeing anything. I mean, we weren't, we weren't witnesses to these things, but this is what it means to um, live by faith. And here, this extraordinary charge is put to everyone that w who, who believes uh, without seeing physically the re resurrection, we are asked to have faith in Jesus in this amazing way without seeing. We are asked to respond to the testimony of John's story, to know who Jesus is, to come to faith for ourselves, and then 
this amazing promise that as we do that, we will experience His resurrection power and life for ourselves, and we'll be able to live by that resurrection life and power. And verse 31, I love, if, finish with this. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's what we want. We want life in, in His name to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to, I want to um, spend some time praying this morning. And uh, a couple of areas I think I would like us to pray for each other. Now, perhaps you feel like Thomas this morning. Perhaps you feel like, you know, you've heard, you've heard everything, you know uh, the story, and yet there's a sense, sense of nagging doubt in your minds. I want, to, I want to pray for you because, you know, the, the Bible says that even the faith to believe is a gift from God that He gives, and we can know Him. Yeah? And the reality is you are called, as, a, uh, as a, a person who puts your faith in Jesus, to believe something that you haven't seen. <laughs> and this is faith. This is what God requires about it. Yes, I believe. So I'd like to pray for people who might be in that place of just wrestling with some doubts in their lives. And I'm going to ask you to be courageous so that we come forward and pray for you. It's, it's not a problem to have doubts. Doubts are part of faith. You can't have faith unless there are some doubts because then you don't have to exercise anything. Are you with me? It's only when there's some doubt that you have to exercise faith. So now I choose to believe this. Secondly, I'd like to pray for those uh, that would just like to know a little bit more of the power of God in their lives. I love the Acts chapter 1 story which I alluded to because it says, you will have power to be what? To be my witnesses. How many of you struggle maybe to share your faith with others? Anyone here? Don't be embarrassed because I struggle. <laughs> That's when we need the power of God, isn't it? That's when we need Holy Spirit power in the moments that we don't shrink back, that we actually in the moment take the opportunity we have to share what God has done in our lives. And that comes by the Spirit. That's the promise. And what does Jesus also say? If you are in a situation where you don't, need to, you don't understand what you should be saying to people, in that moment the power of the Spirit will be upon you that you will say what you need to say and that you will lead people to the Christ. And so I'd like to pray for people in those two areas. Simply for those that are struggling with some doubts, I want to pray with you if you'd like to come and stand here. And on this side, we're going to get the ministry team to pray for you. If you just want to know a little bit more of the power of God, the baptism of the Spirit, the courage to, to, to be someone who boldly speaks as a witness for Christ, I can, I can stand here as well, over here, and uh, someone can pray for me because I want more power. It's, it's, it's never... You can never have enough power, all right? So I'll be the first one standing there, and someone can pray for me. Why? Because we want this church to be a powerful witness for Jesus. How does that come? Well, either it comes by the Spirit, or it comes by us working very, very, very hard to have the best meeting possible, the greatest coffee shop possible, the best music possible, to present everything very slickly each week so that people come. Either we do that, and I believe me, I've done that before, and you know what that does? It leaves you exhausted. And exhaustion will come when you minister like that. It might not come in this year 
or next year, but a moment will come where you are completely exhausted and you'll say, God, I can't do this anymore. I am tired. Either we do that or we do it by the power of the Spirit, which is supernatural, which enables us from the inside out, where we walk in a place of grace and He enables us in the moment to be bold and to speak. And it doesn't require our own effort. It requires His power moving through us. Are you with me? That's the options that we have. And we want this church to be a bold community that ministers for Christ and sees the kingdom come. And we want it to be done by the power of the Spirit. Are you encouraged? Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> All right. So, who would like prayer on this side? And who would like prayer on this side? Come, we're going to pray and uh, trust God, and then we'll just finish with the song at the end. But let's uh, minister to each other and trust God to come and minister by His Spirit. All right, so the inv invitation is open. Come, let's pray for you.